Oh, it's that on-off button. Seriously, how many times? Like a thousand? I've been here like a few months and I can't remember to turn the on button. Anyhow, First Thessalonians, as we take a look at it, remember when we looked at First Thessalonians, the exciting thing about it is it's probably Paul's first epistle he ever wrote. The very first one he's ever going to pen. And it was to a church that he had only spent one month with. Four weekends he had been there sharing and teaching before the Lord moved him on. And the church was established. The church grew. The church got strong. The church was moving in some great things. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them. He writes to them to instruct them. And the, and the epistle breaks down into a, a fairly simple outline. In fact, we see the beginning of it in chapter 1, verse 3. When he says, Now I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and of our Father. So it breaks down into those three things. First, he talks to them about their work of faith. That's what Paul had done when he had been with them and where they had come from. When we think about that work of faith in our life, oftentimes it's as we look back at what God's brought us through that we, we are encouraged in our faith. We see the work of faith. I don't know about you, I don't always see the work of faith in the moment. But it seems like when I stop and look back, I see the fingerprints of God all over my life. And so that's what Paul does. He looks back in their past at their faith and how their faith grew and, and their experiences that they had with the Lord. Then he talks to them about their labor of love. And he really defines that term for them. Listen, he wants them to abstain from all sexual immorality. Sometimes we think when the Bible was written, the world was different. But Solomon would write to us that there's nothing new under the sun. Now, we may have more ability to, to see things with TV and, and radio to hear things and all of that. But the debauchery that was a part of, of mankind is the same. Even in Thessalonica, in fact, I had an opportunity. It was kind of neat. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got to go on a Footsteps of Paul tour. So I got to basically walk the footsteps of Paul in his missionary journeys. So we got to go all through Greece. I got to go to Mars Hill in Athens. I got to go to Corinth. <clears throat> we had a chance to go into Turkey and visit Ephesus in Turkey. I had a chance to go to Patmos, the isle where, where John was <clears throat> when he wrote the book of Revelation. And uh, had a chance to go to Thessalonica, Philippi, all those places. And of them all, the one thing that kind of sticks out in my mind is Thessalonica, folks, is still a city today. It's not a ruin. You go to Thessalonica, it looks like anywhere, any big town, USA. I mean, it's a big city, skyscrapers, you know. I mean, it just looks like it, it always has. And when you consider that, one of the neat things about it is when I look at the church of Thessalonica, one of the things that really marked them is the fact that they, they loved one another, their faith was established, they were strong, they were excited about the Lord. And when I look back at all those old cities, that's the one still there. I still moving, still, still going forward. In fact, to see a ruin at Thessalonica, you have to go to the middle of the city, and they got like a patch of ground dug away where you can see a few things. Otherwise, the city is where it is. Well, when Paul is writing to them, that's what he, he wants them to understand. Hey, guys, you want to be focused on the love of God, not the love that the world sells. Focus on the love of God, not the love of it, not the love at the world. on the love of God, not the love. You want to be focused on the love of God, not the love at the world. And when I look back at all those old cities, that's the one self, sexually pure, but not only that, Keep yourselves in the love of God. You know, focus on that labor of love that God wants to work and rot in your life. And then he goes on to talk to them about their patience and hope. What's their hope? The hope of the return of Jesus Christ. The hope that one day we see him face to face. The hope that we get to hear this phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know anybody who's a believer that wants to hear, I wasn't really sure you were going to make it. But I know most of us, we want to hear, well done. We want to, we want, I, I mean, 
I can't even really in my mind's eye imagine the impact of that moment when it's just you and him. Because we're all going to have that moment. We will all have that moment face to face with Jesus Christ. Welcomed into the, to the courts of the king. Welcomed into the father's presence. What is that moment going to be? How is that moment going to play out? Man, he's saying, listen, your hope is that you're looking for that day, not dreading that day. Your hope is that you're looking for the the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you're waiting, that you're living your life. Today's the day. Today could be the day. I I could see him face to face today. How does that change? What is my focus? That is our hope. So what? It doesn't happen tomorrow. If I live like tomorrow, it's going to happen my life is going to be better. John says in 1 John chapter 3 that everyone who has that hope within him purifies himself even as he is pure. So as the book divides into those three parts, we were able to go through those three. But then as we come to the end of 1 Thessalonians, he is going to lay out for us, hold on to your seats, God's will. He's going to give you God's will. Now, I know a lot of times I spend time talking to folks and they're like, hey, man, I just want to know what God's will is in this situation, what God's will is in that situation. And every once in a while, God gives us little nuggets where he says something like, and this is my will for your life. Well, guess what? Tonight's the night. Tonight's that opportunity. He begins now in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren... To recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. When he's talking about it, he says, hey, we want you to acknowledge the leadership within the body. God is a very organized God. And everything in his will is going to follow, you know, his precepts, his design. In that design... He doesn't want for a body just to randomly float around without a shepherd. So he calls for leadership within the church. He calls for a pastor. He calls for a board of elders or a group of elders. He calls for deacons and deaconesses. He calls for there to be that structure within the body of Christ. And so as we see him do that work within the body of Christ, we, he says, now I want you to acknowledge them. I want you to think about them. I want you to love them. And if you can't love them, you might be in the wrong spot. If you can't love the leadership, if you don't have that heart to follow them, you have to consider where you are. And he says, also those who admonish you. That word admonish comes from the same phrase that you would see in in a relationship, but from a big brother to a little brother. You know how big brothers are? They come to their little brother and they say, hey, you know, this is not going to fly. You, you need to do this. You, uh, somebody who can encourage you and come alongside, build you up, cheer you up, stir you up to good works. That's what we should see in a relationship from a, in between brothers, big brother to little brother, the big brotheritis. That should be the attitude from the leadership. The leadership should be first those who labor among you. Not who just lorded over you, but they're part of the team. They're part of the process. They're part of that work. He says, acknowledge those guys. And then he goes on, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Find that peace. We were talking this morning about how Paul begins his letters with grace and peace. And how good it would be for us if we began all our conversations that way extending grace and peace he says be at peace among yourselves no divisions or arguing within the body but rather instead of looking for my own way what am i looking for peace how do i make peace between you and me if we have a disagreement and and we're going in in two different directions i'm going to look for a way to make peace not to say bam you know this is my right and thus saith me That's not it. It's all about having peace. Paul would write in the book of Romans, if it is possible, in as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 
Inasmuch as it depends on you, look for that opportunity to make peace, to have peace, to experience peace. He goes on, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. That word unruly is a word for a soldier that breaks ranks. That means uh, someone who won't follow direction, who won't follow order, kind of running his own program. He says, warn those who are unruly, those, those guys. Let me tell you, in my time in the Marine Corps, they didn't put up with people breaking ranks. Now, you and I, we may think it's the dumbest thing ever to make guys stand in four lines, march 30-inch step with your left foot, aye, aye, sir, you know, in step with one another, just moving. What's the point of all that? To teach you to work together. That every piece plays a part. And if one guy's out of step, it messes everybody up. The whole unit can fall down because one guy is doing his own thing. And so Paul says, listen, warn those who are unruly. That that's not the right way. That you're not supposed to be in rebellion to leadership or doing your own thing, but that you should fall under the authority of those who the Lord has placed over you in your life. Where does that authority come from? Who is in control of placing anyone over you? It's God. God raises up kings and brings down kingdoms. He's the one who allows people to have authority over you. So, that person who has authority over you, who's ruling over you, whether good or evil, if evil, he may intend to destroy you. But what does God mean it for? Good. That's how it works. And so we warn those within the body, brethren, these are brothers and sisters, warn those who are unruly or falling out of step. Then he says, comfort the faint-hearted. Literally, faint-hearted means small-souled. Small-souled. It's a concept of being timid or shy or lacking in courage, you know. And, And it says... Basically, to provide assisting strength. That means, you know, the Bible talks about when our brother is weak and he can't stand, we're supposed to come alongside and strengthen the feeble knees and the arms that hang down. We're supposed to strengthen those who are discouraged. So Paul says, hey guys, listen, I want you to to come alongside these brothers and lift them up. Be their strength. If they're weak, it's okay, they're weak. But what are you going to do? Folks, in my time in the military, not everyone in the unit is of, the, of equal ability. Every unit in the Marine Corps moves about at the speed of its slowest man. Now, they're always going to push him, but they're not going to leave him behind. Why is that important? Because that's our hope, isn't it? Listen, in the Marine Corps... We would never leave any... Men lose their lives every day, every year, in every battle, going back to pick up a fallen brother, going back and pick up a fallen Marine, a fallen soldier, going back. And people say, why did they do that so stupid? Go back. Why? Because that guy who's on the ground, shot, wounded, doesn't know what's going to happen to him, he needs to know someone's coming for me not leaving me here that's important and every soldier marine every man who serves he knows hey i am going to go for my brother i am gonna go back and pick him up well folks we have that attitude in the world in military arms which is why as paul sitting watching in his world the roman legions and how they did things would would begin to speak in these kind of military terms. Hey, come alongside the one this week. Pick him up. Don't just leave him there. We don't shoot our dead or dying. We pick them up. We even pick up the ones that are dead. We bring them home so that they know all along. If they're stuck there, they know someone's coming for me that's how it ought to be in the body of christ that's how it ought to be in the church we have someone weak in their faith not as strong as someone else we shouldn't come alongside and ridicule we should come alongside and strengthen pick them up encourage them 
Build them up. And when they're weak, we need to be a little stronger to help them go along their way. And that's what he's talking about here. To uh, comfort the faint-hearted and to uphold the weak. And then what? Be patient with all. Now, you'll hear me say this many times, but a careful study in the Greek does reflect the fact that when the Bible says all, it means all. Patience with all. Not patience with a few people. Patience with people it's easy to be patient with. No, patience with all. Even knuckleheads. Patience with all. Sometimes it's hard to be patient with knuckleheads, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to be patient when your patience is being tested. But nonetheless, what is he calling us to? Patience. With everyone, with all, the Lord would tell us, hey, you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. And that's learned through patience. We want to learn to be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Man, that's, that's pretty pointed, isn't it? See that no one renders evil for evil. Folks, God's not interested in people getting what they deserve. If he was, you and I would get what we deserve. And before we think we deserve grace and someone else doesn't, uh, we're wrong. We all deserve the judgment of God. Yet he poured out that judgment upon his son. So that we could be the righteousness of God. So that we could be covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he says, repay evil to no one. If someone does wrong by you, you do the next right thing. Whatever it is. If someone does wrong to you, you do the next right thing. You know, the scripture would go on and say, by so doing, you heap coals of fire on their head. So if that encourages you, (laughs) oh, well, if I do good to him, I can heap coals on his head. So I'll do that. The concept is that you're being an example. And that that example of a humble, submitted, and committed life to Jesus Christ will do more to affect change in, in someone's life than any words you have. I knew a lot of guys when I was growing up. Maybe some of you have known people like this. And I just used to think, you know what this guy needs is just a good beating. And if he had a good beating, then he'd be okay, you know. He just needs to get a good beating. Well, let me tell you something. Some of those guys that need a good beating, don't learn from a good beating. I remember thinking this one particular character, you know, man, this guy, he, he is just ornery. Today, still today, Probably the honoriest guy I know. He has been in getting beat up and, and had guys pull over and jump him while they see him walking down the side of the road. He is so hated because of this attitude. Now, he's also loved by other people, but, but he's just honorary, just honorary. Has he changed? No, not one beating has ever changed him. I'll try it yeah, I know. <laughs> the point is, no, it's not Fritz. The point is that we would understand, that we would, we would realize that, that that doesn't change anyone. That doesn't change anyone. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. The goodness of God. And so we repay evil to no one, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Remember, all in the Greek means all. Everybody. Always pursue good for all even those people that are a pain in the neck and then he's going to focus in on commandments that paul gives us that coincide with god's will for your life coincides with god's will first for your daily life these first three verses three snippets three one-liners what does he say first rejoice always In the present imperative, it is a command. Rejoice always. Then he says, pray without ceasing. And then he says, in everything give thanks for what? 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Listen, folks, that attitude of rejoice, it doesn't mean that we're giddy or that we have to fake how we feel. What does it mean? It means to have a settled peace and trust in God. That's why the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. What's that joy? I have a settled peace and trust in him. I'm not worried about the situation. The situation is not going to change that. It's not going to dictate that. My joy is in Christ. It's not in the other junk. It's not in all the lousy things that can happen. I can always rejoice in him. Even out of tragedy, the Lord can bring a song, can he? I'm reminded of Jeremy Camp. Maybe some of you guys know who Jeremy Camp is. A few years ago when I was doing youth group, Jeremy Camp was just getting started. And as he was coming up, uh, he married his first wife. He's now remarried. He married his first wife, and she had cancer. And uh, they thought she was going to be okay, but the cancer kind of came back. And we were calling Jeremy to get him to come and play a concert at the church. So I had a phone call into him. When I called him, he was in Mexico with his wife undergoing... Uh, radiation treatment and some 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 uh, treatment that uh, alternative treatment for his wife there in Mexico to try to, to to help her beat this cancer. So he wasn't able to play with us, but I had an opportunity to pray with him for his wife. One, one of the songs that that come out of that heartbreak of losing his wife to cancer, but getting to see his wife go to be with his Lord and Savior is. Uh, the song that I will walk by faith. I will, I will continue to have faith no matter what enters into my life. No matter what happens. No matter up, down, sideways. I will trust in the Lord. And so that's true. We can rejoice always. But it's a choice, isn't it? <clears throat> I can wake up every morning and complain about something. Can I? I can wake up and complain about a job. I can wake up and complain about the weather. I can wake up and complain about the mice that were sleeping on me while I was sleeping at home. <laughs> they somehow think that my pillow is their pillow and they should just get to hang out. Apparently it's warm there by my head. You don't really like to wake up to see this little mouse face try to focus i can complain about all that stuff can can have an attitude of ingratitude or i can realize that my joy is in the lord my joy is in him and i can rejoice in christ i can rejoice in what he does in me i can rejoice in what he's doing it's all an attitude that we make. And it's a command. And the scripture says it is God's will for your everyday life. Rejoice always. <clears throat> Having our joy in him. Then he says, pray without ceasing. Now, this does not mean, folks, when we leave tonight, and you get in your cars that everybody's supposed to close their eyes and start praying while they're driving down the road. When he says pray without ceasing, what's he talking about? Communicating with God. Every moment of every day. There doesn't have to be that formal prayer where we stop, we fold our hands, we bow our knees, we bow our head. No, I can talk to God every moment of the day. And the scripture commands us to do so. Pray without ceasing. Every moment, just talking to the Lord. Keeping That open communication. Hey, in our world, life is a little too loud. You know what I mean? You got folks that got earphones on their heads all the time. Look at the kids. I used to get kids in youth group all the time and tell me, you know, Jackie, I've never really heard the Lord speak to me. I don't know how you could hear him. You got the loudest music I ever heard in my life going in your car 
to and from. As soon as you get out of your car, you got the iPod plugged into your head, screaming in your ears, that we're going to see a whole group of people deaf from all this stuff. It's loud and noisy and busy, and nobody is just still and keeping (coughs) that open attitude toward the Lord. Pray without ceasing. Always lean into Him. Any moment, any second, we can cry out to the Lord. Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, what do you think about that? Just having open lines of communication. It's God's will for our life that we would pray without ceasing. Charles Spurgeon says uh, uh, a neat quote. He said this. He said that when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. We're coming up to Thanksgiving, right? Spurgeon would say, if... You rejoice always and you pray without ceasing. The natural part of that that's going to flow through your life is giving thanks. And that's what he's talking about the next thing. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He doesn't say, for everything, give thanks. What did he say? In, he says, in everything, give thanks. You know, you don't have to be thankful for all the lousy things that happen, but you need to be thankful in all the lousy things that happen. We want to have an attitude of gratitude for all that God has given us. We want to have thanksgiving, and it's a commandment. It is God's will for your life in every day. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all things, give thanks. The attitude of thanksgiving, open communication to God, and a a willingness to rejoice in Christ, in the Lord. For that is where our joy is found. Now he's going to build on this idea, still talking about God's will, but now he's talking about God's will for, for our lives in discernment. These are still commands. Still part of the same imperative that he's given. He says in verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, throughout the Scriptures, a symbol of the Holy Spirit is fire. And Paul says not to quench it. There are two ways that I see that the Spirit can be quenched. One commonly occurs from those who are what is known as cessationalists. Cessationists believe that the works and the gifts of the Spirit ended with the apostles and that there are no gifts that work or function in that way for the body today. And if they see something like that happening, as soon as it begins to flare up, they're going to throw a wet blanket on it and squash it out. Don't have that. None of that. So they put the fire out. There's another group. See, fire, think about fire. Fire's going to burn. It's going to burn as long as it has fuel. It's going it's to burn and, and consume that in which it is, is burning, but it is affected by things around it, right? You can put fire out a number of ways. You can put fire out a number of ways. And Well, one of the other ways is when the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit are misused or misapplied. When the emphasis is out of balance. It's like some people are a wet blanket wanting to put the fire out. And other people are a Molotov cocktail. And they're just wanting to blow it up. And that that becomes their focus. Excuse me. And in that focus they're saying, hey, we don't want no structure, no none of this stuff. Just let whatever happens happen. Well, folks, that's what was going on in the church of Corinth. And Paul wrote a letter to correct it. Everything is to be done decently in order. And in everything, there is a place and a time and and an opportunity to, to use and work and practice those things. So God says through the Apostle Paul right here, don't quench the spirit. Don't put the spirit out because of fear or trepidation. Or don't put the spirit out by misuse misrepresentation but 
Well, then how are we going to, how are we going to utilize? How are we going to allow the spirit to move? Guys, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It's all written right here. Everything we need to know about the working of the Holy Spirit is written for us here. Three great chapters to study is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Lay out for us exactly how the Spirit should move within the body and what should take place and, and how it should all work. And folks, if someone's trying to do something that's not written in here, that I don't see Jesus doing, I don't see the Lord doing, I don't see the apostles teaching, I don't see written in the epistles, then it isn't real. People can get all caught up in emotion, can't they? People can get all caught up in the, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit that turns my teeth to gold or whatever that is. Or you get gold dust in your teeth. Well, okay, where's that? Where do we see that in the book of Acts? Where do we see Paul? Folks, there's enough stuff in the Bible to keep us busy, isn't there? Without us making up our own stuff. I want to utilize how, otherwise when the Bible commands me to test the spirits, how do I do it? Just by how I feel? Or do I do it by what God's word says? That's got to be the rule. That's got to be the rule. So we don't want to quench the spirit, God's will for our life. In verse 20, he says, do not despise prophecies. Apparently, we'll see in uh, 2 Thessalonians, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that next. But we'll see that there were some issues in regard to prophecy that were a little sideways at the church at Thessalonica. And so they were, they were shunning prophecy. They were shunning people saying, thus saith the Lord. Now, that's not hard to do, is it? Because the world is full of wackos, right? They want to come tell you, thus saith the Lord. They want to send you letters. The Lord put you on my heart. The Lord told me that you have $10,000 that you ought to give to me because I am in need. You know, that stuff really happens. People really do that. People really give because they see that phrase, thus saith the Lord. Listen, Paul tells us not to despise prophecy. Just because there are people that misuse something doesn't mean we ever have to be afraid of its existence. What is he going to call us to do? Test them. He says, don't despise prophecy. Don't despise it. There have been people who have come up to me in my life several times over the last 15 years that I've been in ministry, and they've given me a word from the Lord. They've come up and said, you know, I really feel like God's given me a word for you. And they'll lay out a, a prophecy. And I'll take that just like Mary did when... When uh, Simeon came to her and told her about the child, Jesus, uh, that, they, that they were having circumcised, the Bible says Mary kept those things in her heart. I hold on to it. And I'll know it's from the Lord if it comes true. And if it don't come true, it's not from him. Now, I don't have to get all worked up, and I'm not going to despise it. I'm not going to, sometimes the Lord speaks to us that way, folks. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. When, uh, as I was being trained under Pastor Gerald, there were several times that, that people would bring him prophecies that ultimately came true. Hey, it's great. I'm not going to despise the spirit of prophecy. I'm not going to hate the spirit of prophecy, and I'm not going to be afraid of it. But I am going to pay attention to what the next verse tells me. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. How are we going to test all things? Folks, there's one rule. Simple. What's God's word teach? In terms of prophecy, what does God's word lay out for us? Well, in the Old Testament, the Lord said, If a prophet comes unto you, speaking, thus saith the Lord, and he tries to lead you after any other God, he's a false prophet. Stone him. Don't listen to a word. If he comes unto you and he speaks a prophecy and it doesn't come true, then take him outside the camp and stone him. Don't listen to him. He's a false prophet. It's poison. Do you know how many people today 
are deceived in false religions and cults by false prophets who they continue to follow. People are basing, the, the, both the Jehovah Witnesses and, and the Mormons are basing their eternal life on men who have been proven to be false prophets. The Bible says you don't have nothing to do with them. How do we test it? According to God's word. If someone does something that's not in according to God's word, then we have an opportunity, right? What did the Bible tell us earlier? If they're unruly, if they're trying to do their own thing, what are we supposed to do? Warn them. Hey, that's not okay. That's not right. There are people that would come to church and they'd want to, they, maybe they would speak in tongues. There'd be an opportunity, someone would speak in tongues, and then they'd want to give an interpretation. And the interpretation would start something like, thus saith the Lord. Well, that's not right. That's wrong. God's word firmly declares that man that speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. It's not a message for other people. That's a mixture, a misunderstanding, and a misapplication. And the Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes, does he? So that's something that's out of order. How do we know that's out of order? Because we know God's word. We got to know God's word because it tells us how things are supposed to work. Does that mean the gift of tongues is something to be feared and afraid of? No. The gift of tongues is something that edifies. It's the only gift that edifies the person utilizing it. It enables us to to just feel like... I, I know in the times that I experienced the gift of tongues, I felt like me and God were just... me and Everything else in the world just faded away. It was just me and Him. I wouldn't trade that for nothing. But I'm only going to use it in accordance with God's word and what God's word teaches. Test all things. What does it say? In fact, hold your finger here and and just turn with me quickly to 1 John chapter 4. As John lays out this same kind of a concept to us in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I was sharing this morning that there's this church in Kansas that just boggles my mind. I actually ran into the guy in Palm Springs at Sonny Bono's funeral. Remember, maybe you remember, Sonny Bono was the mayor of Palm Springs. He died in a skiing accident. So he is being buried. But because his daughter is gay and his ex-wife was Cher, this church came down and picketed his funeral. They sat outside with picket signs. Now, folks, I don't agree with everything that he did in his life. But you tell me, that's a witness? We see Jesus doing that? Was that ever the heart of the Lord in, in, in response to someone who was caught in sin? To picket? And... and not, not, I mean, just rude. They're, they're, I can't even express to you how rude they are. How do people fall into that and believe it? Because they don't read the word. Test the spirits. Not every spirit is of God. Test to see if it is of God. How do I know? Does it line up with God's word? If it doesn't line up with God's word, you throw it out right now. If it doesn't line up in God's word, it's wrong. That is the test that we have. And we want to apply that test. We want to follow that test. We want to allow that to work. Listen, nothing that the Holy Spirit ever does in our lives or through us or through the body will ever contradict the Word. He came to establish the Word. What is it that Jesus said? Don't be afraid of what you're going to speak when they take you because what? The Holy Spirit will give you utterance. He will remind you of those things you've read, you've studied, you know from God's Word. He's going to remind you of those things. Who's He point to? He points to Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? God the Word. He's going to establish. He's not going to contradict it. And while we're on that subject, he, neither is He going to interrupt Him. If there's already something going on and the Holy Spirit is moving and God's Word is being, is being shared... 
the Holy Spirit is not going to jump up and interrupt what's going on to start something else. He doesn't do that. And so we want to realize, never will it contradict God's word. Then you need to look at, what is the emphasis of this? What is the emphasis that is going on? I'm testing. What is the emphasis? Is it to be built up, cheered up, stirred up? That's what God's word says that we're supposed to do in equipping the saints. That we're going to build up, cheer up, and stir up to good works. Is it doing that? Is that the emphasis? Or is the emphasis going in a different direction, something else? <clears throat> Next is what is the fruit? What is the fruit that's, that's taking place out of this? The scripture we read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today, this morning, spoke about this. Being of the same judgment. Having the same mind and the same judgment. People always want to say, judge not. Well, look a little deeper. The Bible says not to condemn. That word in that verse is crino. It means to condemn. It means we are not to condemn anyone else. We are not the one who has the power to decide or condemn any person. That belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. But God does call us to judge. To judge what's sin, what's not sin, what's right, what's wrong. And to not be afraid. What's our basis for what's sin? God's word. What does God's word lay out? What is God's word teaching us? What is its focus? So we want to know, what's the fruit? What's the fruit of this? I am always a little worried, guys, about people who do a big uh, uh, revival and the billboard has their name all over it. While I'm at it, I'm a little uh, worried about guys who put their name on the Bible and it's bigger than the word Bible. Really? I mean, really, you didn't write it. What's your name on there for? Yeah. Well, no, I don't mind your name. You put your name on it as big as you want. But this is an editor. His big old name on the, on bigger than the word Bible. His name. Bruh. Why? What is, what is the point? Are you, are you drawing disciples after yourself? Who cares? This is the word of God, not the word of whomever. They're, or they have this giant billboard. I'll, I'm, I'll, I will definitely call this guy out. Uh, Benny Hinn, who had a, a bunch of uh, healing ministry going on, doing a lot of stuff. And, and this is just my own personal experience with him. I, the, I, we could get into a lot of other things that are wrong with theology and all, but I won't do that. I'll just do this. My uncle was dying of AIDS. Big guy, big follower of Benny Hinn. Just loved him. I have a whole side of the family that just loves the guy. That's okay. So my, my uncle wanted to go to a, a healing crusade and have Benny Hinn pray for him. He is dying of AIDS. So they call. They get a hold of him. They tell him to come. He flies out. He goes to the crusade. He didn't pray for him. Didn't lay hands on him. Didn't speak to him. Wouldn't do nothing. Wouldn't do nothing. Really? You got the gift of healing? And so what's the deal? You won't even pray for him? See that? I got a problem with that. Amen. That's, that's nasty, ugly, rotten fruit. And so that should throw up a red flag to me. What's going on with that guy? What's up with this? You know, so we want to be those who test all things, but when we test it, hold on to what's good. The emphasis is not always on a negative, but hey, test it, and yeah, that was from the Lord, man, hold on to that. Hold on to that. Allow that to strengthen you and equip you. And then he says, abstain from every form of evil. God's will for your life. Abstain from every form of evil. We're to turn away from it, not to be a part of us, not to be a part of, of who we are or what we're about. And that word for the form of evil is how evil is seen. Anything in which evil is seen, we're to abstain from that. And then he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you 
completely. Remember we talked about that word sanctification. It has that concept of turning from something and turning to something else. It's that whole concept of growth. When we get saved, what do we do? We turn from the world to Christ. And that's a process that's going to take place our whole life. It's not like there's a, a moment in time where we were once here and now, bloop, we have arrived. Well, that, that there is a moment. Jesus does that when we see him. But throughout our lives, the work of sanctification has taken place. We're turning away from things. Doesn't God tell us to cut stuff out of our life? Cut this off, cut this off, cut this off. And, and as we grow, he's constantly pruning and trimming and making that work in our lives. And so he says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. It's a work that God does. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that God is going to present us to the Father? Without spot, blameless. That's good news for me. I got a lot of spots in my past. I don't know about you guys, but I got a bunch of junk. And I'm, I'm thankful that he don't remember none of that. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, and God looks at all the heroes of faith, how many bad things does he say in that whole chapter? How many failures? Not a one. Because God don't remember them. They're covered in the blood. He remembers the victories. He remembers the victory. He presents us blameless, without fault, before God. As you hold your finger here, I love this, the, the benediction in the book of Jude. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power for now and forever. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. That's Jesus Christ. That's his work. This is what he's talking about here. That he would present us blameless. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Hey, if God calls you, he will equip you if the lord has got a plan for your life you don't need to be afraid or you don't know what to do or how to do it good if he calls you god calls you he is faithful god will do it god will equip god will strengthen god will establish you in it all and then he says brethren pray for us i always try to remember to pray for for the people and in leadership above and beyond me, our nation, our country, you know, uh, friends, family, all that stuff. People, just because they're not here with us, we want to remember, just like Paul says, pray for me, pray for us, pray for one another. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now listen, this is what he's saying. Take time to greet one another. You know how they greeted one another back then? You got a kiss on both cheeks. That's how it worked. You go to Greece today, they're going to do the same thing to you. You go to Russia, they don't go. You, you say, hey, how you doing? Put out your hand or look at it. What's that? Come here. Yeah, George, George, watch out. You see George coming. You're going to get a holy kiss from George too. You're going to have that. But it's, the point isn't about how we greet someone. It's that you take the time to greet. Don't be in such a hurry that, that you don't take the time to greet one another. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He called for this epistle to be read, his first epistle. Now, from this point on, all Paul's epistles are going to be spread around all the churches. Even though they're written to a specific church, the church is recognizing and realizing the authority with which Paul is writing those things. So as we conclude, as we close up tonight, we have opportunity for, for our Shekinah worship. And just so I can kind of touch on it again, Sunday nights we want to give folks the opportunity to, to not be afraid to, to reach out and, and to experience whatever the Holy Spirit has for them. We're going to do an extended time of worship. We invite you to worship. We invite you, if you want to pray, pray. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to stand, if you want to move around, we just would ask that you go to the back 
so that you wouldn't become a distraction, but that we would just set aside this time just to seek that Shekinah glory of God, His, His beauty, His face. We want to see Jesus in this. And so we, we just want to open that opportunity up for you. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and get into to worship. If you're not able to stay, it's okay. It, you don't have to. Uh, but if you're able to, we, we'd love to, to have you be a part of that with us. And we'll pray and, and we'll get started in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity that you give us. We thank you for the truth of your word and what your word declares. We thank you for this evening. And we ask God, even as now we, we've received, God, your will for our daily life. Father, may we have an attitude that says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I have a choice and I will rejoice in him. May we continue to leave open that, that line of communication that we're talking to God all day. Never stopping, never putting up a block or anything that would hinder our time with the Lord. And may we be people who are thankful. Lord, as we come before you tonight, let us not be those that would quench the Spirit, but those that would allow the Spirit to burn within us, not needing to be afraid. For the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And Lord, we know, God, that you don't do anything through us or in us to harm us, but only that which will glorify your son. Lord, we just invite you to be a part, God, as we have an attitude of gratitude tonight. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you in this time. We lay it before you and just ask, God, that your spirit would move that you would guide, that you would lead, that you would be glorified in this place as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.